Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. It's uh, so good to be here. Uh, at Numa Church uh, for my really good friends, Pastor Corey and Pastor Simone. It's an incredible honor uh, to be here and just to speak a word that I believe is going to be so relevant in a, in a season unlike any other. And I want to do a message uh, today that I call a pressure test. Uh, even at home, why don't you say to the person next to you, and even if no one's there, say pressure test. And when I think of a pressure test, Uh, I don't think of it as a good thing. Uh, It's not like I'm praying to God saying, hey God, I'm really believing for you to take me through a pressure test. But if you think about a pipe that is used to extract uh, a very expensive commodity called oil, and before that pipe is used to extract oil uh, from the depths of the ground, what the people do is they'll do a pressure test with that particular pipe. And what that means is they will burst massive amounts of pressure through the pipe before it's used. And what the pressure does is it reveals weak spots. It reveals cracks. But when cracks or weak spots are revealed, the people don't get the pipe and just throw it away. But they send experts to go and mend the weak areas to patch up the broken spots so that the pipe can be used for the purpose that it was made to be used for. And sometimes God allows us to go through pressure tests so that he can reveal some weak spots, he can reveal some cracks. Not so that he can reveal them and then throw away the vessel, but so that he can reveal them and send the expert, the Holy Spirit, So that now that they're revealed, they can be healed and then we can be used for the purpose that we were born to be used for, which is to carry the Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk about a pressure test. I remember a little while ago, it was about four years ago, and I was in New Zealand and I was doing a a freedom type night. And there was this young lady called Jazz Thornton who was in the psychiatric ward. She was about 22, 23. She just tried to kill herself, I think, for about the 10th time since she was about 13 years old. She had every mental diagnosis that you could possibly imagine, depression, uh, insomnia, so many different things. Some of her friends knew that I was ministering and I would minister to, to that kind of stuff, to mental illness, to brokenness. And some of them went and asked if they could bring her out of the psychiatric ward just so she could be in the night meeting that particular Sunday night in Auckland about two years ago. And I remember I did a big altar call for breakthrough and freedom and maybe a couple hundred people came to the front. But I remember this young lady stood out to me. I had met her once many, many years ago at a youth camp, but she just stood out and and I remember I was standing on a high stage like this and the people were at the altar call and I, I went over and I grabbed her hand. And I began to prophesy, and I didn't know any of her story, but I began to prophesy that she's had trouble sleeping. But tonight she was about to have the best sleep that she's had in more than a decade. And as I'm praying and prophesying and tears are flowing, she went back to the psychiatric ward. She was so radically healed of every single mental diagnosis 
that, that they tried to diagnose her with something else. Because they said, there's no way that you could be the person that you were yesterday and now be completely normal. You must have some other kind of mental illness. But that young lady never changed. She stayed healed from that very moment. So much so that six months later, she directed a movie about her friend that actually had taken her life to bring awareness to suicide. Uh, Peter Jackson, who made The Lord of the Rings, has been following her for two years and is about to launch a movie about this young lady. She stood in front of the UN to speak about suicide awareness. And what I want to tell you, and I felt in the car when I was driving here today, that no matter what, the answer is never suicide. No matter what pressure comes, let me tell you that Jesus is always the answer. Jesus can take the most broken life, the most broken vessel, and use it to do incredible things just like he's doing with Jazz Thornton. You know, one of the things, because our whole heart is to minister to brokenness, we've seen so, hundreds, thousands of people set free of anxiety, depression, and so many things like that, addictions. We created a 21-day mind renewal God encounter experience. And normally we charge $47, but through, through this kind of season, we've made a code. Uh, the code is blessed. It's on your screen, I think. The website is afreedomexperience.com. If you go to that, you can do the 21 days, put in the code BLESS, and you get free access for 30 days because we just want to see people blessed through this time. But pressure tests. And, and, you know, there was a man in the Bible that he went through a pressure test. His name was Elijah. And rather than read the whole story, let me tell you just in case you haven't heard the story or maybe you haven't read it in a while. Elijah starts off prophesying to an evil king, Ahab, who was married to an even more evil queen, Jezebel. He tells him it's not going to rain for many years. He then goes to a, a place called Kirith Ravine where he's fed by ravens from the sky who bring him food. He drinks from a brook and then he moves on to another place called uh, Zarephath where a widow provides for him oil and bread and a little boy of the widow, the little boy dies and Elijah grabs this young boy and he prays and life returns to the boy. He then ends up at his pinnacle where he stands in front of 450 evil Baal prophets and the whole nation had turned away from God and he says, here, I want to do something. Let's both build an altar and whoever's God answers by fire, that would be the real God. Elijah puts a sacrifice in the altar, fills it with water. And fire comes from the sky and consumes the altar. The whole nation of Israel turned back to God. It's a mass national revival. They turned back to God. They killed the 450 evil bell prophets. But then the very next day, Jezebel speaks a word. She, she speaks a word that says, by this time tomorrow you'll be dead. And the man of God that has just seen a national revival happen, he flees for his life. He ends up under a tree, suicidal, saying to God, just kill me now. I'm done. I can't handle this pressure. God calls him up to a mountain and God appears by fire, but God wasn't in the fire, by the earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake, and then by wind that broke the rocks, but God wasn't in the wind. And then it was the still small voice of God that brought Elijah out of the cave. And there's a little bit more that we'll kind of finish with at the end. But I want to give you three things about Elijah in this season that we can learn from this, because Elijah had a pressure test. And the first one is this, is it's God's voice or word that sustains us. 
I want you to look at how Elijah started his ministry. You know, in the Bible, there's a thing called the law of first. We find out a lot of things when we look at what someone first did. And he starts off at a, at a, at a ravine where he drinks from the brook, the water. In other words, a picture of being fed by the Holy Spirit. And ravens bring food from the air. In other words, food from heaven was filling him up. It's a picture of a devotional life where he's drinking from the river of God and he's eating the food that comes from heaven. God then calls him to another place. And again, it shows this picture that he, he's close. He's hearing the voice. He, he says, go to Kirith Ravine. And he goes and he drinks the Holy Spirit and eats the word of God. And then he hears the voice again, go to Zarephath, where a widow will provide for you. You know, just as a sidetrack for a moment, let me tell you, and this is so important in this season, that your provision is always where God has called you to be, not always where you are right now. See, so often what we want is we say, God, give me the provision and then I'll go. But God's way is, no, 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 I want you to go. And the provision is waiting for where I've asked you to go. And so he goes to this widow, and, and if you know the story, the oil and flour never runs out. So again, what does he do? He hears the voice. He goes to the widow. He drinks and, and eats the oil, which again is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and the bread, which is the Word of God. And really, Elijah's life starts as a young man that's hungry for God. A young man that was sustained by the, the, the river and the oil and the food that came from heaven, the bread. It's a picture of connectedness. It's a picture of him being sustained by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Let me tell you, in this season more than ever, this is a season where you need to be sustained by the Holy Spirit and the Word that comes from heaven. And, and really, it's a picture of Elijah living out of the overflow. You know, God wants you to live out of the overflow. What do I mean by that? Well, when you get, if you get a bad medical diagnosis, it works so much better if the word is already in you that he's a healer before you even need the word. Or when you get to a moment where like many people, maybe you've lost your job and that was your provision. And, and that's a, a thing that we have to face. But it works so much better if the word is already in you before you arrive at that place that you already know deep down that God is my provider. Yes, circumstances have changed, but the word is already in me. That's called living out of the overflow. Let me tell you, if you ever face a situation where the word's not already in you, well, then the answer is still to put the word in you. It just works so much better if it's already in you before you need it for the circumstance that has faced you. See, it's the word that sustains you. And then we see in verse uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 1 to 4, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is where he's just killed the 450 prophets. He, he has this pinnacle Revival comes to a whole nation. But then one word from Jezebel, one word where she says, by this time tomorrow you'll be dead. And the Bible says he was afraid and he ends up under a tree suicidal. I don't know if you've ever had one word that changed everything. Maybe it was a phone call from your boss that said there's no more work. Maybe it was a medical diagnosis. Maybe it was a partner that said they're leaving you. Maybe it was a policeman that said someone has now died. And for Elijah, it was one word 
that literally changed everything. But something that's different, and I felt this was such a word for people right now in this moment, is if you look in those verses between verse 1 and 4, and I think the guys have got them on the screen, it says she says this word to him, but then it says he was afraid. And then he ends up under a tree suicidal. See, remember how Elijah started. He started hearing the right voice. Go to this place. And he drank the Holy Spirit and the Word. Then he heard the voice and said, go to Zarephath. And he drank, he ate the oil and the bread, the Word and the Holy Spirit. But this is the first time we see Elijah listening to the wrong voice. And it says he was afraid. And because he listened to the wrong voice, he ended up afraid. And then he ended up in the wrong place, which was under a tree suicidal. See, if you listen to the wrong voice, you will end up in the wrong place. This is a season where you have to make a decision. Yes, get wisdom. Yes, be informed. But make sure you're listening to the right voice. Make sure you're listening to the right voice because you'll end up in the right place. And it's a picture, and you can look in that scripture as well in verse seven, uh, verses 5 to 7, where the angels, they come and feed him because he's exhausted. He's burnt out. He's suicidal. And there's one moment where the angel comes a second time. And he says, you've got to go up the mountain. You need to eat because you don't have enough in you to get to where you need to go. See, at the start of Elijah's journey, we see him feeding himself. We see him feeding himself with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and it sustained him. But this is the first time we see him so broken that somebody else had to feed him. And the angel said, you need to eat this because you don't have enough in you to get to where you need to go. In other words, Elijah, you've ran out of gas. Elijah, the Word that sustained you in the beginning, you've stopped sustaining yourself with the Word. And then there's this moment in 1 Kings 19, verse 11 to 13. And it's funny because God says to Elijah, he says, Elijah, I'm about to speak to you. And I mean, imagine if right now, because it's kind of weird because he says, I'm going to speak to you. But then fire comes and God wasn't in the fire. The earthquake, God wasn't in the earthquake. Then the wind comes and he wasn't in the wind. And then the still small voice of God comes, which is kind of unusual if you think about it. Like, imagine I said to you, hey, I just, could we just have a chat? Like, I, I want to speak to you. But before I speak to you, here's three ways of how I'm not going to speak to you. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But that's what God did. And I've always wondered, why did God do that? Why did God show him the fire, the earthquake, and the wind? Remember, Elijah started the journey connected to God. He was hungry for the brook. He was hungry for the oil. He was hungry for the food that came from heaven. But then God wanted to show him, Elijah, here's the fire, but I'm not in the fire. Why? Because Elijah, he knew about the fire. Elijah was the man that stood on Mount Carmel and he called fire from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice. But what God was saying to Elijah, Elijah, the fire might have been from me, but the fire isn't the thing that will sustain you. Only my word, only intimacy with me will be the thing that keeps you going. See, I believe Elijah had moved from being sustained by who God was to trying to be sustained by what he did for God. It's such a common thing, especially with people in ministry. See, see, because when you do things for God, that doesn't sustain me, that takes from me. And the more I do for God, the more I need to be sustained by God so that I don't run out of gas like Elijah did. 
He then showed the wind that broke the rocks. And he says, but I'm not in the, in the wind. Why did he do that? Because Elijah had stood there with a lifeless dead boy and he had watched the breath of God bring that boy back to life. But God was communicating, Elijah, that might be the miracles I did, but that's not what will sustain you, Elijah. You need to get back to drinking from the brook. You need to get back from eating the word that comes from heaven. He did the earthquake and again, why? Because Elijah was the man that had seen weather systems shake. He had seen political systems shake. But what God needed to communicate, Elijah, it's not what you do for me that sustains you. It's being connected to me, which was when the still small voice of God came. Elijah put his cloak over his head because I believe he remembered that's what it once used to all be about. When I was at the brook, it was just about hearing the voice. But Elijah had lost his way. The second thing that Elijah needed to learn in this moment, this is a quick point, and this is so cliche, but new levels equals new devils. See, Elijah kills 450 Baal prophets. And those Baal prophets did detestable things. But if you think about it, those 450 Baal prophets, they kind of represent 450 individual demons. You know, when Elijah killed the 450, they slain the 450 individual demons. You know what happened next? Is the thing that happened after that was the atmosphere began to change. And where it hadn't rained for seven years, now all of a sudden it began to rain because someone took some authority over some demons. See, let me tell you, that's a word for someone right now. See, maybe you've had anxiety. Your mother had anxiety. Her mother had anxiety. But when someone makes a decision that, yes, everybody else had anxiety in my family, but I'm going to be the person that stands up and says that spirit of fear is about to finish with me. You know what happens? Now the children after you, the atmosphere changes for them and it begins to rain on the people that didn't even fight the battle. See, I have two little boys. I grew up in mass addiction. I was a drug addict for most of my life, but I fought some demons. We came against some demonic realms that have been in my generation for many years. And now there's two little boys that will never have to face addiction. The atmosphere changed over their life. Come on, I feel like there's someone that needs to fight some stuff so that the atmosphere changes for the ones that come after you. See, but Elijah... He failed to see this because you've got to understand new levels equals new devils. He takes out 450 individual demons, but now Jezebel, who represents a principality and a power, is about to speak. See, she wasn't just an individual demon. She represented the principality and power that was controlling the 450 demons. And so often we fail to understand that, that when we step up into a new realm in God, where we take authority, where our marriage was on the rocks, but we fight spiritually and we get it back to where it's meant to be. Where we fight for our children who are maybe off on a bad path, but our prayers bring them back. And so often what we think is that the devil is going to come and roll out the red carpet and say, congratulations on your promotion. But when you start to step up into new realms, new levels brings new devils. And Elijah brought a whole nation back to God. But now the principality and power was about to speak. 
See, it wasn't just the words of one woman that caused him to be suicidal, but it was the demonic power that was on those words, the oppression. And see, when you understand this principle of new levels, new devils, it causes you to buckle down even deeper into point number one, where you understand it's the word that sustains me. So in other words, the more you realise, yeah, I'm not going to be fearful of new levels, new devils. I'm just going to dig down. I'm going to be so sustained by the Word of God that when that next level demon speaks, I'm already ready because the Word is already in me and I'm ready to destroy that thing too. You know, just as a, a caveat that I need to put here because you need to be aware of this principle, new levels equals new devils, but don't be focused on it. You know, because you meet those people and every time you meet them, they tell you everything the devil's doing. Don't be one of those people. I need to be aware of this principle, but I'm focused on the fact that greater is He that lives on the inside of me than he that's in the world. I'm focused on the fact that yes, I have an enemy, but he's already a defeated foe because the Word of God lives on the inside of me. Eliza failed to miss this. And the last point is this, and this is a big one, is you've got to, number three, you've got to come out of the cave and get real with God. And I believe this is a moment where Elijah, he missed it. See, when we go through pressured seasons, when we go through a pressure test, what it does is it reveals cracks. And those cracks represent dysfunction. They, they re represent wrong mindsets. They represent weakness. They, they represent hurts of the past. And, and when there was no pressure, the cracks were already there. We just couldn't see them. But when the pressure comes and now I can't go and do what I want and I'm stuck here and there's financial things and, and there's fear all about when the pressure comes, it reveals the cracks and now I can't not see the cracks. See, if you think about that, I was a person that had illuminated light right within me. And when there's a crack, imagine now I see that dysfunction and it's like light is beaming out of it. When I'm going through a pressured season, I can't not see. When there was no pressure, there was still a crack. I just couldn't see it. But now I can't not see it. And this is where this is such a big word for this season right now because already the news tells us that this is starting to happen. But one of the temptations when we go through pressure and cracks are revealed we look for caves of escapism. We look for caves that are dark places because now I can't not see the crack. So if I find a cave that I can hide in, I won't have to be confronted by the weakness or the dysfunction. And that cave is different for everyone. Maybe it's way too much Netflix or maybe it's too much alcohol or maybe it's your work or pornography or food or gossip or whatever. And of course, some caves are more destructive than others. But let's be honest, a cave is a cave. A cave is a place that we're running to so that we don't have to deal with the cracks that are being revealed because of the pressure. See, if you're going through massive fear at the moment, I understand that. But let me tell you, the fear was already there. You just couldn't see it. Now you can't not see it because it's rocked the foundation of who you are. And so the temptation is that we go into caves. You know, there's a great scripture in 1 Kings 19, 12 to 13, where Elijah was already in the cave. So in other words, he was hiding. He was escaping to the cave. 
because he didn't like the cracks. I don't know what it was for Elijah. There's a moment where he's under the tree and he says, I failed just like all of my ancestors. Maybe Elijah deep down believed that he'd always fail. And when Elijah spoke those words, what he always believed deep down, he said, yep, there it is. And he ends up in a cave, but it was the still small voice of God that brought him out of the cave. You know, there's a moment, I'd never seen this before, and you can read it for yourself in 1 Kings 19. But God says to Elijah, Elijah, why are you here? And in my own words, Elijah says, well, I'm the only one that's left, and they've killed everyone, and I'm the only one, and I'm the only one that's been zealous for you. And then the fire comes, the earthquake, and the wind, and then God asks him, there's still a small voice of God that brings him out of the cave. But then when he comes out of the cave, God asks the exact same question again. He says, Elijah, why are you here? Let me tell you, when God asks you a question twice, the same question, there can only be one reason why he does that. Now, sometimes as humans, we ask each other the same question twice for a few reasons. Like maybe my hearing is not so good and I didn't quite hear you. So I ask again the same question. God doesn't have a problem with hearing. Maybe, and this one happens a lot with husbands and wives. I, I don't understand you because we speak a different language. And so I need to ask the same question again because I didn't understand your answer. Well, God doesn't have a problem with understanding. He knew your answer before you even said the answer. The only reason why God would ever ask you the same question twice as he did to Elijah is because he didn't like the first answer. And he was giving you an opportunity to give the correct answer. And I actually believe Elijah missed it in this moment because he had an opportunity to get real with God. And again, I don't know what Elijah's stuff was, but he, he, got, he got asked the same question twice and verbatim, word for word, he gave the exact same answer. And I'd never seen this before, but God says, okay, fine. He says, Elijah, go and anoint Elisha, who's going to take over. Go and anoint Jehu, and go and anoint who will be king and will destroy Jezebel, and go and anoint King Hazel. You know, the amazing thing is Elijah, if you look at it, from that moment, he went and spoke to Ahab, but then he went and anointed Elisha. And then the chariots came and took him up to heaven. He never fulfilled the will of God. And it was actually Elisha that eventually anointed Jehu and Hazel. See, because there comes a time in life where eventually if you don't deal with the thing that God wants you to deal with, it's the reason why sometimes he's allowing pressure. Again, not to get rid of the vessel, but to reveal so that then he can heal and you can walk on a journey so that you can fulfill the will of God. See, eventually, if we don't deal with the stuff we've got to deal with, God will find someone else to do the thing that he puts you on the planet to do. Don't get me wrong. God still loved Elijah. I mean, Elijah was one of only two men that have never died. He's still a hero, but he didn't quite finish everything God wanted him to do. And I believe it was because he couldn't have a moment where he came out of a cave and got real with God. I remember, I'll finish with this story. I remember, well, there's a great quote from a Navy SEAL that says, when pressure comes, you don't rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. You know, and again, it's because pressure simply reveals where we're at. You know, there's another scripture where it says that tribulation brings character and character brings perseverance and perseverance hope. 
Have you ever thought about that? Like most times when tribulation comes, say someone really hurts me or, or some kind of experience that we're in now, most times when I experience tribulation, it doesn't produce character. It reveals a lack of character. When someone really hurts me, I say something that I shouldn't say. I get an attitude that I shouldn't have. I start thinking thoughts that are not lined up biblically. So most times for me, tribulation doesn't bring character. It reveals lack of character. But because the tribulation revealed the lack of character, now I can see what was already there, but I couldn't see it. Now I can work on it, and then in turn, tribulation does eventually produce character. I remember a time, and I'll finish with this story. It was September last year, and a great man, a God called Mike, Pastor Mike Connell. He came to our church. I'm a part of a great church in America. We live in America now. We're in Australia for a, a fair season. But, but he came, and, and he really moves in deliverance and power, and we just feel called to bring freedom to people. And, and, and so I travel as an itinerant. It's how I earn my living. But he was coming to our church for three weeks. God told me, don't book any itinerant for three weeks. Just block it out and drive him, serve him, take him coffees. And we did that for three weeks. I remember after about day one or day two, I got around him and all this stuff started coming up. Where literally, I'd just come out of probably the greatest season of six months that I'd ever had. It's been booked all over the world. We've launched our freedom experience. We're seeing hundreds of people have radical testimonies. Things were incredible. I get around this man of God. And, and after one day, just st junk started coming up like rejection, insecurity. And the more I got around him, the more it began to surface. And I remember it, it was the first time in my life where I saw that rejection was my number one issue. And, and even if I'd be honest, over 20 years of being a Christian, there were many caves that I escaped to. And it wasn't the problem of the cave, it was the deeper problem of rejection that took me to the cave. And this was the first time in my life where now I, could, I couldn't not see it. It gets to this crescendo where we do this big staff retreat with a hundred people and he's doing his final session and God's been working on me for three weeks. I remember I answered that altar call and I didn't just start to cry, but I was ugly crying. I'm talking 20 minutes. I reckon there's people at that retreat that are still in counseling just because they saw me crying. But I was a mess. I was distraught. A 43-year-old man weeping. And he came after about 10 minutes and he spoke and he said, spirit of rejection and abandonment come off him. The power of God hit me. I dropped to the floor. God really ministered to me. But you know what? I thought this is it. It's dealt with. But then it was literally like from September for about three months, I went into the darkest time I've ever had in my life. About a month later, we had been on a four-year four journey, $30,000 to try and get a green card. We're about to get to the finish line to submit our green card to live in America. And the day before we submit, the lawyers see something, a, a very minor thing that I did when I was a young boy as a drug addict that was very minor, but it disqualified me. For four years, we'd been working towards this, spent tens of thousands of dollars, and we're at the finish line. And they say, you never, ever can have a green card in America. It sent me into, if I'd be honest with you, into a really dark place. And it's amazing, though, because what God did with, through Mike Connell was revealed rejection. And now what was happening? The whole nation of America was saying, we reject you. 
Within a couple of weeks, I had some key leaders and not, no kind of bad stuff, but just issues that started to pop up. More rejection sent me into this place, into a cave of depression. And I had to journey where for the first time now, I couldn't for three months, I couldn't not see the rejection. See, sometimes we want freedom to just be like, Mike Connell, here's a wand, you're done. But what deliverance normally is, is it reveals something that we were unable to see, but now I can't not see it. So I have to deal with it so that I become a better vessel for the kingdom of God. And I remember it got to the, after about three months of the hardest three months of my life, and it got to a moment where I remember weeping in the presence of God and God spoke to me and he said, Lucas, talking about the green card and some other things that happened, he said, Lucas, I had to allow it to seem like you had been abandoned so that you would deal with the abandonment that's been in your heart most of your life. See, I don't know about you, well, I do because I know you're watching this thing that this, yes, there's pressure going on. But let me tell you, it's an opportunity. God, and it might be painful, but don't shy away from the stuff. Bring it to God. Keep bringing it to God and letting Him breathe on it because God needs you. You know, I want to pray for people right now. And I just want to ask you to close your eyes because I know there'll be people with major fear and anxiety and depression. I really felt that there was someone that was even suicidal. Maybe there's a few people. And I want to pray no matter where you're at. I want to pray for the power of God, just like He did in me, to start to work. And, and you know what? It was a tough season for me. Let me tell you that. But I wouldn't change it for a second. We moved countries because of all what's going on. But you know what, if I'll be honest with you, it hasn't even been that difficult. And I know it's because of what God did with me a few months ago that's made me different on the inside. And I want to pray for you right now. Why don't you close your eyes? Father, I thank you for every person that's listening. God, I rebuke the spirit of fear and anxiety that would come upon people's life. I stand up right now and I tell that spirit to go in the name of Jesus Christ. I declare that spirit of heaviness and depression. I command you to go in the name of Jesus. I speak to suicide right now and I say you are a liar from the pit of hell. Where there has been hopelessness, I speak hope in the name of Jesus. I declare no matter how bad your life looks, that God is going to turn it around. God is going to use you in a powerful way. There are going to be people that need what God has put in you through this season. Father, I thank you that you're our provider and I pray that you bless every person that's listening right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. 
I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.